Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis and Ann chat with Adam Orens, founding partner of the Marijuana Policy Group, a Denver-based economic and policy consulting firm nationally recognized for its role in shaping regulated medical and adult-use cannabis markets. The Marijuana Policy Group regularly provides actionable research and analysis that empowers businesses, government agencies, and investors to make informed decisions within the regulated cannabis industry. This is a show about data. Don't let that deter you. The numbers and the stories here today are fascinating. Don't sit back, lean forward. And now on to our interview with Adam Orens. So Adam, thanks for joining us. We're really psyched to chat with you today. Before we dive in, uh, can you tell us a little bit in your own words what exactly you do at the Marijuana Policy Group and what the heck is the Marijuana Policy Group? And if you want to use somebody else's words, feel free to use their words. Sure. Well, thank you all for having me. Uh, Really excited to to be here and to talk with you guys. Um, So I'm Adam Lawrence. I'm the founding partner of the Marijuana Policy Group. Uh, we're a full-service uh, cannabis consulting firm, um, and we do work with businesses and governments. Um, we have uh, completed market research, uh, economic studies on new cannabis markets. My training is as an economist, uh, actually an agricultural economist, uh, who never thought he'd be applying uh, that knowledge in quite this way. Um, but we have been working with the Colorado Marijuana Enforcement Division since 2014. Uh, we've helped them define how large their market was for the first time in 2014. And we just helped them uh, look at it again uh, just this year. Um, we've also helped them define some of their regulations, participated in a lot of the early regulatory uh meetings that define the system. Uh, and then from there, we've gone on to do it for other governments. We just finished a project uh, with Health Canada, um, similarly looking at the size of the market for them as they first set out to regulate it. Dude, you're, you're, fr- you're front running my questions. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, Lewis. Don't mean to steal your thunder there. Oh. But uh, so we, we've also done the same thing on the private side, right? We've, we've helped... Uh, uh, a lot of uh, groups get licenses, um, understand and form some of their first business plans in states around the U.S. Um, so that's it. That's it quickly. Uh, but we continue to do work uh, as this industry gets bigger, uh, more capital is coming in. Uh, that capital needs to understand where to go. And we help with that. Well, that's very cool. Um, and for us, it's really cool to talk to somebody who is you know, not on the, the, the growing side or the dispensing side, but really helping to think through the bigger issues that are going on in the industry and then feeding it back to all the market participants. Um, you mentioned Canada, and October 17th is like the, the big matzo ball date that's on everybody's calendar, right? Um, it's It's... Right. Like I keep hearing in my head, you know, oh, Canada. And it's like I, I, I was just up there and the illicit market is still, you know, hyper present everywhere. 
Um, but you just you just you mentioned the big project you completed for Health Canada to, to give a size of of what the the licit market may be. You want to talk about that and then why you know like our understanding your numbers are different than what the other estimates have been and, and why yours are different. Sure. Um, yeah. So our numbers were uh, probably about think about 100 tons higher than the largest number. We said there'd be about 925 uh, metric tons. That's 925 million grams uh, of cannabis demand. And that is measured no matter, that's the demand side, right? That is, that is irrespective of where it comes from. That's how much cannabis is demanded in Canada. Uh, it, it, whether they get it uh, uh, from the medical market, whether they get it from the uh, regulated, uh, the upcoming regulated uh, adult use market, or whether they get it from the illicit market. Um, and it was larger than everybody thought. Uh, I think it's almost a third larger than uh, the, their, their previous estimate from their budget office. And I think really what it came down to is the impact of heavy cannabis consumers. Um, yeah, that's that's 25 grams per person, right? Like there's 36 in Canada. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. Yes, it is a lot. Um, but what we've seen is, and in our, we've done direct surveys, we saw that the heaviest 20% of those consumers that consume cannabis every day are consuming almost two grams of cannabis a day, about one over 1.7. I think it was 1.72 grams per day um, are being consumed by those heavy consumers every day. Wait, so so I, I, I don't think in terms of grams, I think in terms of like, um, either like a joint or an edible. So can you convert? Cause like, I can't envision what, you know, what, what one gram is. So what, what is that equivalent to? Uh, one gram. Uh, well, here's an easy way that everybody can look at it. A commercially produced tobacco cigarette has about one gram of tobacco in it. About 0.8 or 0.9 grams of tobacco okay. in it. Um, you know, just because people roll their uh, joints bigger or smaller, uh, some of them have more than a gram. But you know, I would consider that two large joint, two large uh, tobacco cigarettes full of cannabis uh, per day. Um, and that's that's also it's a kind of a proxy. They could consume that same amount of THC in edible form. Well, not in Canada to start, but, um, you know, in uh, uh, oil form, uh, etc. But that's, that's how the surveys work. When we survey somebody, we ask them how often they consume cannabis uh, uh, per month. And then we also ask them uh, how much they consume on a, on a day. And, and it skews the heavier consumers also consume more per day, as you would expect. But those, those heavy consumers represent about 20% of the cannabis consuming population. And they demand 80% or more of the product. And we've seen that occur in Colorado. We've seen that occur everywhere we've worked, including Canada. They're no different. Although what we saw that was different than some of the surveys we did in Colorado and in Washington state, that 1.72 number uh, in Canada was only 1.6 in Colorado. So oh. uh, the heavier consumers are consuming slightly more in Canada. Well, it's um, colder so, up there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. And, uh, you know, that was something that, that people don't understand yet. Most of the, the folks that do these projections, whether it's like a state budget office or somebody uh, in a company that's trying to do a little back of the envelope math, they just they just look at how many people and an average consumption amount and they often skew low on those projections. So my question is, how quickly will this, let's say, 20% flip to consuming off of the black market? You know, you know uh, so let me tell you what I've seen. Is that a weird uh, way to put that question? No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. I think that's a very important question. I mean, that's something that they're asking themselves in California right now, too. Yeah. Um, but this is something that we've seen go, go relatively quickly in Colorado, and I, everything's relative here. By comparison, in, in adult use states, it's gone relatively quickly in Colorado and slower in Washington state and slower in, in California. And it's chalked up to just a couple things. This cannabis is, is becoming a, a a discretionary consumer purchase, right? It has to be convenient for you to get, and it has to cost the right amount. And those heavy consumers are very price sensitive because they spend more of their annual income on cannabis than anybody else. Uh, and so they become very price sensitive. And so if it's not at the right price for them, they're going to, and they already have entrenched supply methods too. They already have relationships they with the they, illicit they don't market. care. They don't care that the illicit market may be providing them with, with, you know, cannabis that's either been uh, grown with heavy metals or pesticides or that the, you know, that the, the, the actual dosing isn't right. I mean, they don't care about that. They only care about price. No, I think all of that matters, but the price matters just as much, right? So what I've said before is that you need to, the price of legal cannabis needs to be maybe just slightly more than what can be uh, bought on the illicit market because of those things that you mentioned, right? That also should have a value. But what we've seen in Colorado was the shift didn't really start happening until there were enough stores open. It was easy to get. The stores weren't, the price came down to about what it was on the illicit market here in Colorado, what was existing. And then we saw massive increases in uh, sales in the regulated market. Those increases were slower in Washington because there weren't enough stores open. Uh, prices were higher. Taxes were a lot higher. Now, let's talk back about Canada. Um, you are going to have plenty of cannabis that will be grown in short order there you know all those companies up there have gone public uh they're raising a lot of capital they're expanding their grows but i really think there's a lot of government involvement in the distribution channels and those are going to be slow to start and they're going to have a lot of distribution bottlenecks and and the illicit market will prevail in canada as long as those bottlenecks prevail so that I mean that leads to my follow up question, which you just sort of answered is is it is it ready or is it going to be a total shit show by October eighteenth? Uh, I think it's going to be chaotic. I think it's more the latter for sure. Um, you know, I wish them the best, but nobody has been able to open a market without some trips uh, tripping over themselves. You mean you like Massachusetts, which still hasn't got it figured out? 
yeah, they're 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 slow too there, um, and they're they're taking a very very measured approach. Um, Nevada seems to be the only one that got it right, right? I mean, out out of the gate. I think they did very well, uh, and there are two things about Nevada and Colorado to a certain extent that some of these other places don't have that's very important, which is a well-developed, me- regulated medical program that is already regulated and already has processes in place, and those were quickly ported over to uh, adult-use markets uh, in Colorado and Nevada, and Washington didn't have that. California doesn't have that. Canada doesn't really have that on the distribution side, uh, and Massachusetts did not either. So do you think that bodes well for New Jersey, which is opening up the medical market more, and uh, you know they've changed the, the, the conditions to pretty much any you know anybody, um, but it's still tightly controlled at the production side, at the processing and the dispensing side. So do you think that that, that is setting up a good paradigm for New Jersey, or do you think that that is that New Jersey is just going to be the same kind of shit show that 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 California was or is, and, and Massachusetts is? As a Northern New Jersey native, uh, I definitely represent and Rutgers grad, right? Yes, I am a Rutgers grad. Absolutely. Um, Are you rah rah, baby? Hoorah hoorah, Rutgers rah. All right. Uh, so. Um, I think New Jersey is moving in the right direction. Um, But I think something that a lot of these places are missing is it's still very tightly controlled. And at no point did Colorado ever limit the number of licenses from the top down. Um, And I think, you know, when you have these severely limited uh, groups of license holders, it sets up market conditions where there is not as much competition to uh, downwardly influence the price. And so, you know, I think New Jersey's moving in the right direction. I think they could set themselves up to shift to the uh, adult use market uh, smoother with what they're doing. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that live in New Jersey, uh, and I don't think it's that convenient to buy medical cannabis products in New Jersey right now at all. Oh, it is not. Uh, as, a, as a card holder in New Jersey, it is not. Um, it is an absurd um, system, but um, I, I have I have a slightly different follow up because um, you were talking about the structure of the market and and how either elastic or inelastic it is regarding price. Um, but as these markets, as the medical markets open up, and as the um, the the medical markets evolve into adult use markets, are we seeing a change in new users? You know, the, there's the myth that. You know, the, the cannabis user of tomorrow is a 40-year-old mom who's never smoked a joint before. Are, are you guys seeing this kind of data, or is it still the vast majority of users are the historic users who are converting from the illicit to the, to the green market? Um, I think the current users are definitely who everybody thinks they are. Uh, younger, skewing male, uh, you know, 18 or 21 to 35 uh, demographic, those are still uh, the larger demographics, especially of the heavier consumers. Um, but the faster growing segments are, um, I think we've seen in Colorado, the fastest growing segment uh, was the over 50 years old segment. Um, I think uh, that's, that's, I think, what's coming. I think nobody really knows 
um, what's going to happen in terms of how this product will grow and who will use it. People use it for so many reasons, right? People use it for recreation and for treating ailments uh, and symptoms. And uh, I think there's a lot's going to change in the coming years. Uh, and I think this product will be a little more normalized. And so you're going to see uh, faster growing segments outside of the core that we uh, think about and have seen in movies. Um, Adam, I want to go back to Colorado for a moment. You, you're based there. It's the mecca um, of, of cannabis. You've, you guys are considered the Colorado cannabis economists. Um, and, you know, we talked about, you know, why it's been a little bit more successful than uh, Washington or Oregon and maybe California, although it's early. Um, but you've just finished a big project for them, uh, talking about how they've effectively absorbed the illicit market into the regulated market. Um, my bigger question is how do you actually measure that? Um, that's a great question. Um, so we, we go at it a couple of ways, right, from the supply side and the demand side. We use um, the state's uh, inventory tracking system, uh, which is called Metric, which tracks all the movements of uh, cannabis from when it's first grown to when it's harvested to when it's sold and processed. Um, and, and the uh, state owns that system? To yes. be, okay. Well, yes, the state has a software contractor that provides it for them, but the state owns the data. Um, and uh, so we we calculated all the sales, right? We, we see all the sales at a transaction level. And we rolled that back up to state level. Um, we also have some proprietary methods that we've developed uh, working for the state that uh, puts all of the different cannabis products to a similar unit. We call it flower equivalent. So we're able to take an edible and roll it back to how much flower was used to, pr to produce that edible. So we add all that up and we see how much cannabis is sold, right? And that was 300 tons. Um, of cannabis sold in 2017. Um, and then we look at the demand side, just like I was talking about with Canada. We look at uh, federal surveys and some state surveys that tell us how many cannabis consumers there are in Colorado. Um, we then estimate their consumption based on based on those surveys and some primary work that we did with the state uh, on cannabis use. Um, and then we also add in tourism information from the state tourism sources that we have. And it looks at how many are you, people are, are you tracking me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the state, the state's tracking, uh, uh, people that come in and out, you know, DIA, uh, every day, but there's no, no Twitter is tracking you. There's no enhanced, yeah. there's no enhanced tracking. Yeah. That I know. No, I meant you, I meant you personally, but, but you know, um, so let's, can we talk about the data for a second? Um, you know, you guys have, have analyzed and looked at, you know, reams and reams of it. Anything in there that really stunned you, you know, like, holy shit, I never thought, or was it all right on the nose? You know, I, one of the things that, um, surprised us for the longest time is, uh, how long and, uh, the medical cannabis market lasted in Colorado. Um, so that's starting to decline now, but sales were steady in that for, for several years. And that surprised us. 
Um, we were also surprised at how quickly the market grew here. Um, but we looked at it and said, you know, we think it's going to settle eventually. What we're seeing here really is a very fast growth because the illicit market is transitioning into the regulated market. And then between 2014 and 2018, that's what we've been seeing, that transition. That's why growth is so quick. So are you allowed to take um, your learnings and your methodology from Colorado and project it for the future of other states? So in other words, how, how do you, can you project the demise of the black market for other markets? Yeah, we can. Um, I think Colorado is a picture of the most mature cannabis uh, market. And I think there are a lot of lessons to, that can be taken and applied. Um, we do it all the time. I, uh, we've seen what worked and what doesn't. Um, we understand kind of how how large demand is in certain areas and how much cultivation is needed in certain areas. Um, and so we, you know, we are looking forward to helping uh, lots of other jurisdictions think about this or businesses that are starting to look at a market. Just to put it into context or perspective, what percentage of the current Colorado market is licit and what percentage is still illicit? I think uh, most of it, if not all, anything, all measurable cannabis use is occurring in the regulated market. There are still small pockets of uh, items like home grows and people that purchase uh, their medical cannabis from other people that are called caregivers, but that's a really small population. So I think for residents, the black market, uh, the illicit market is all but gone. What there is, though, is there are illegal cultivators and distributors in Colorado who are not licensed by the state who are here growing cannabis and, ex and shipping it out of Colorado because Colorado has developed an illicit market brand in other areas of the country. So, you know, even right now, as we sit here today, Denver in Colorado is the closest adult use market that's open to the East Coast. So um, we still see uh, there's there's still cannabis uh, illegal being transported out, but it's not to serve residents in Colorado. That's by and large been absorbed. So we'll so, you know, sometime this year, they're, they're looking like October, Boston will be the closest market to New York that is adult use. Do you think that the the Massachusetts market will evolve similar to Colorado, both in terms of the 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 dissolution of the illicit market over the next couple of years and then and and a, a secondary illicit market for shipping to states like New York or New Jersey if they are not since legal? Uh, I think that risk is absolutely real and definitely there. Uh, I think that um, a lot of other states like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, they're all looking to go quickly. I think they're all um, looking to legalize quickly. And there are, um, you know, large uh, groups within those states that are really pushing for that in and outside of a, the legislature. So I think Massachusetts, yes, they're setting up to have um, a customer base that is broader than their own state lines like we've had here in Colorado. I have to imagine that your clients almost serve as a crystal ball kind of into the future of cannabis. Are there any 
states that might be too broad or municipalities or even companies that have come to you for projects that have surprised you. Um, you don't have to disclose actual names if you don't want to, but, um, you know, given that states like Oklahoma just passed medical, although I just read that they're advising doctors not to prescribe, which is dopey. Oh, no pen pun intended there, but, um, And it's on the ballot in states like North Dakota. So I'm guessing that every red state is looking into it. But is there anyone that's come to you that you've kind of been like, huh, interesting? Yeah, uh, I have actually a pretty interesting one uh, that I think you guys will like. Uh, In an unnamed state, in an unnamed municipality uh, approached us uh, to look at ways that they could uh, do more beyond just taxing cannabis. Um, They wanted to get in the business um, and they wanted to think about interesting ways that they could um, not just have a customary, you know, public sector tax, but have more of like a concessionaire agreement. Like a state Um, state in New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Right. Right. The control. Right. And so, but what they would really do is they, the municipality would hold all the licenses from the state within their municipality. And then they would just contract with operators to operate, you know, the store. So I thought that was an interesting request. And it didn't come from, you know, some wild eyed entrepreneur. It came from a city council somewhere. Was it? A, I mean, I know you're not going to give specifics, but it was not it a, in Colorado. No, no. Was it, a, was it a bigger city, or like, are we talking about a town like with like fifteen or twenty thousand people? Or are we talking like a couple of hundred thousand people? Larger than a town. Wow, that's brilliant. You know what? That's really brilliant. Um, it would solve. It would provide a, a source of revenue. It's really. It's a really, really creative idea. <laughs> Yeah, um, but it's such a, it's it's met with such trepidation here in the U.S. and and it's another funny thing when I you know I've done work in Mexico and Canada, Western Europe, and they look at what we're doing here um, in the U.S. as something that there's to have more trepidation about because there nowhere in the world is as much of capitalists as we are here, you know? Um, But we were the source of the anti-cannabis sentiment and they have all, you know, they are true believers, but you know, we're also the ones who are flipping the script. They're going to follow, right? I mean, look at what's going on in Germany. It, it, It is a very interesting market that's developing there. Yeah, I, I mean, all over Europe, those thoughts, though, of let's nationalize it first uh, are, you know, the countries are having those discussions. And that's not what happens here first. The first this cannabis got legalized here and it's let's get some logos on it and sell it. That's the American. Right? <laughs> uh, but in, you know, in Canada, they look at it more like, OK, this is a potentially dangerous uh, material that is now going to be legal for consumption. And we have to. Uh, make sure it's controlled and not used so much. And here, the controls are not as strong. And that goes for any consumer product. It's not just cannabis, but it's, you know, it's liquor, it's tobacco, it's it's other, you know, other products that we have here. Um, but that's just something I learned along the way that you just get reminded and reminded again that we are the most capitalist society, not that good or bad, you know, it just is something that was eye-opening. I never really thought like that um, until, you know, you listen to people from Canada, from Mexico, from uh, I was listening to some people from from 
from France and from Germany talking like that. Um, I just came back from uh, a vacation in Italy where apparently it's legal. Um, and I, I wanted to do some more research, but um, the dispensary that we had walked into, they got its low THC uh, as regulated by the country, but it all comes from, at least in this particular store, Amsterdam. So they were importing all of their cannabis, which is just that, I don't know, as coming from the States where you can't cross yeah. the state line, it kind of blew my mind a little. Why would, why would Italy leave that on the table? But, um, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, but we, yeah, talked- you, know, you know, what's also popular over there I hear too is, um, uh, smoking hemp flowers. Um, that's, we may be talking about the same thing, but it's very low THC flower, uh, high CBD, um, and it's used almost uh, so in some ways to, uh, uh, for tobacco cessation and, um, ju- you know, just as a uh, CBD delivery device. Yeah, and we were also in uh, Portugal where uh, we looked it up and, and hemp was legal, uh, but, you know, traditional cannabis and flour was not. So uh, that, I think that's really interesting and, and the fact that you know, that's the avenue they decide to go. And Portugal's a pretty conservative country. So um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Someone will correct me if I got that wrong. But um, so we talked business, um, but now let's talk about you specifically. What brought you into cannabis? Uh, I mean, it sounds like agriculture and economics, but yeah, it, just so, your <laughs> yeah absolutely. it sounds like exactly what you described at the beginning. <laughs> no, but I mean, how did you like, no, uh, like, I'll, what I'll are your colleagues and your. Yeah, absolutely. And you, so I, you know, I'll try and not make this story so long, but you know, I, I've been in Colorado since 2000. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I went to grad school, really chose something to keep me out West. So I never had to move back to East coast. Uh, I studied agricultural and natural resource economics. Um, I, uh, started working right after grad school with a firm in Denver, uh, called BBC research and consulting. And we did a lot of economic public policy work, a lot of work around land use, urban planning, land development, work in the ski resorts, work with governments. I did a lot of work for the, the military doing uh, retail planning for on military bases all over the world, really. And, uh, you know, uh, one November evening in 2012, I was literally sitting on my couch um, watching the election results come in. And uh, I saw that we legalized cannabis in Colorado by a wider margin than we reelected Obama. And uh, I, I, you know, at first I was just sitting there with my mouth open. I, I didn't really think we could uh, we were going to legalize cannabis here. I, I just thought it was, you know, something that would come and go like it had a few times before in California and other states, Colorado one time before, I think even. And, um, you know, then it just hit me um, that, you know, this there's a, there's going to be an industry forming here, a new industry in Colorado. It's not just going to be about mining and vacations and skiing and uh, tech and all the other things that are big in Colorado, but this is, going to be a truly Colorado industry and they're going to need help. Um, And so about a month later, um, through some common contacts I had, I went to a very early NCIA meeting. Uh, And uh, if if it's come a long way, because this was in like the back room of a kind of you know, slightly 
divey bar in North Denver. And in the back room were the most excited people in the world <laughs> at that moment, talking about what had just happened and uh, talking um, about, um, you know, what this means uh, uh, and how the state's going to proceed and just just talking about all of what's to come. And, and uh, I thought, wow, I just got to introduce myself to as many people in this room as possible. Um, and so fast forward a little bit. I was the first person like me, I believe, that introduced themselves to this, to the people that had just legalized cannabis in Colorado. Um, and they were happy to have me. Um, you know, I told them about what I've been doing and uh, how I thought it could fit. And I started doing uh, a lot of work for groups going uh, for licenses in states like Illinois, Massachusetts, Florida. Um, and I developed some of the earliest market studies for medical cannabis at that point. Um, and so I just kept taking this consulting practice that existed and, and kind of pivoted it over and then just kind of kept going year by year, you know, until maybe I think it's 2016, maybe it took about two years. And then I was just doing cannabis projects full time. Uh, another big milestone for us was when we won a competitive, first competitive project to do a market size study for the state of Colorado uh, in 2014. And that kind of set us on a bit of a course. Um, and so um, that's how we got in. And ever since, you know, you, you learn something and then you see how relevant it is everywhere else you go. And I think we've had a tremendous opportunity to do that here in Colorado. And that's why you see so many people that started here and are now have uh, national coverage with their brand or national practices with consulting or uh, lawyering or accounting or whatever they're doing. Um, so that's really the story. So you've seen this entire industry grow up and you've worked with, with regulators and legislators in Colorado and around the country. I'm sure that there have been these moments where you've been across the table from a regulator in another state who's outside of Colorado um, and, uh, and and they have this look like a deer in headlights, like, oh, shit, what the fuck am I going to do now? I actually have to bring some structure to this industry. Or are they now all kind of like talking to each other? Because, you know, I know, like, for example, that the state legislature in New Jersey took, you know, a lot of members took a, a field trip to Nevada um, in the spring to talk to the legislators in Nevada about how they structured their market. Are, are, they, are, they, are the local guys getting smarter or are they still don't know what the heck to do? I think it's some of both. Um, you know, I, we do see a lot of like what you just said. I think actually about a year and a half earlier, that same group of New Jersey state legislators was here in Colorado. We've hosted people from all over the world here, take them on tours, introduce them to the government people. So there's a lot of... Oh, wait, wait, do they actually get high? Do, I mean, I don't want to know who, but but in general, do they go, oh, well, I, it's legal. Why, why don't I? Uh, I would say probably about most of them do, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> probably about most. That's yes. a good number. And the ones who don't are going, I'll I'll, I'll put it, I'll put the over under at 65%. (laughs) (laughs) But that's another thing that surprised me that, you know, I mean, really, uh, and I'll just put it as kind of simply as I can. It's like, what you don't realize is that 
more people than you think, you know, use this now or have in the past and favor people using it now. You know, uh, that's something that I never thought was true. But that became apparent to me when I saw, you know, uh, politicians from state X getting really excited about going to a dispensary after their meetings were over. Oh, that's, that's, uh, well, um, let's, but let's... like. But the flip side, though, Lewis, to get back to one of the things you, you, you said, what happens, though, in all these states is they take the best, most qualified person that's local that they can and put them in place. And, you know, oftentimes they have experience with regulating other controlled substances, whether that be alcohol or gambling or gaming or uh, firearms or, you know, other things. And they, they install them as the head uh, cannabis regulator. And, you know, it's it, it's more nuanced and more difficult than you think. So there's always a learning curve. I think they're always the best intentions, but things go difficult in other states because there are there are other priorities and then one other thing that i think is important that you guys i think would appreciate that i've observed is the states that go the slowest are the ones that don't have ballot measures ballot measures is what this is all about direct ballot measures that's what happened in colorado that's what happened in the west and then the politic and then the, the legislators and the regulators have to react quickly and so the systems get up and running and then they get adjusted once they're in place states that go slowly they can argue over these things on the legislative floor forever and they get killed in committee and it's better luck till next year and it's just this process that takes longer and they'll eventually get there because they have to new york is going to look over in massachusetts and say you know for the good of the region we need to do this yeah i want that money (laughs) well and while we're talking politics i mean this could all kind of go away if if it's descheduled so we ask a lot of our guests um, to look into their crystal ball and see, do you think in the near future it will be descheduled or rescheduled? And what is what does day one look like after that happens? And what does day two thousand look like after that happens? So voted question. Yeah, go. Ahead, go. Absolutely. Uh, glad to take a shot at it. Um, so I think um, I think rescheduling will come before descheduling. Um, and I think that, um, interstate commerce is longer than most people think, because I believe there's going to be this period where states will try and protect their tax bases and will not want to allow free trade, so to speak. Um, so I think it's still going to take some time. I think, you know, the state legislators can say one thing, but then, you know, the DEA and the federal apparatus have all said that, you know, we need medicine to come first. We need we need this to be proven medically effective before we move it off schedule one to anywhere. Why? Um, I just don't I, 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 I know why. But but why? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's a uh, it's um. These are these are law enforcement. Uh, but they know better agencies. But they really do know better. If you talk to a, a real member of law enforcement, none of them. I've never heard a cop say, "You know what? It is really fucking addictive. It really is as bad as her." They all go, "It's better than anything else." They all agree to it. 
I don't and, get it. You know, those are those are the, the the folks that are I think more in the front lines. I think it's the people in uh, that have been career and you know in the top hallways of these federal institutions that might not. Um, understand the magnitude of what they're doing. Um, but, you know, with lots of things, we've seen it happen with uh, gay marriage. Um, we've seen it happen where it's sort of a tipping point thing that happens. So maybe, you know, maybe sanity will reign uh, further on down the road once there's a majority of states. Um, you know, it's a real tough and cloudy crystal ball, unfortunately. Um, and it's tough to really think about 20 years from now and. You know, it's still state by state. I don't think so. I, I look, I think that that Trump and I've said this in the, for the last couple of months now that that I think Trump in October reschedules it doesn't deschedule it, but he does something to reschedule it so that he can claim that he made pot legal and and it's to stem off a, a blue wave because he knows that pot pulls higher than anything else it's so, a good theory i like that theory i've never heard that theory Lewis. i like it um it would also be a great diversionary tactic to all the other trouble that the administration has now yeah um and and it's fucks it, it fucks the politics of it all up because the progressives have tried to own this issue and and it seems like they've lost that that the, that it's more the conservatives who are I mean, look, I love Cory Booker, and if he runs for president, I'll vote for him. You know, if Kamala Harris runs for president, I'll vote for her. Um, I can't vote for both of them, so you guys, my vote is up for sale. Um, it, you know, it never it never would have passed here, Lewis, if we didn't get the, the right here, meaning Colorado, if we didn't yeah. get the libertarian free will uh, conservative uh, uh, libertarians, excuse me, uh, to agree with something that the progressives do. And that's how these are passed. And, and, and that's why I think he's going to do it. Yeah. Um, I just it, do. Fits. it fits. It does. And, and it's such a black swan thing that it's in line with who he is. And I think that, that it drives the Democrats nuts. Like we all lose our fucking minds. So Donald Trump, if you're listening... Which yes. is really his priority number one. Yeah, yeah. he wants to troll the libs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he trolls us well. Uh, <laughs> so you know, we are we are about forty minutes into this conversation, um, and we want to be respectful of your time. So we are at that point where it's puff puff pass, um, and we're going to try this a little differently. So just go ahead, puff puff pass. All right, uh, puff. Uh... So this industry is one of the most uh, interesting things as an economist I've ever get to, got to look at. There are new markets popping up everywhere, uh, and uh, it's a place where I've gotten to uh, use, in the purest sense, my education, which I feel that hardly anybody gets to do. So that's number one. Uh, number two... Uh, I've really enjoyed getting to see the degree of creativity, entrepreneurship, problem solving, and just really the, the, that Denver right now is, is cannabis Silicon Valley. And then other cannabis Silicon Valleys are sprouting up in Silicon Valley itself, uh, LA and other places. So just getting to see that 
has been uh and and just to see like how american that really is right there and you know i think that's one of the best things about what's happened since uh colorado and washington legalized cannabis uh and then the thing that's not so good i think right now um a lot of people that you hear and you listen to that are in and around the industry or you know, very interested in this. This is their new issue, and they're very interested in cannabis and CBD as medicines. Um, I've heard people say that CBD can cure just about anything right now. Uh, THC too. You know, give it to you. Give it to your pets too while you're at it. You know, and I just think you know this. We're at a real risk that this could end up being snake oil here with some of this. So let's let's. Let's walk that back a little bit. Let's say what it is, because what it is, is still remarkable, in my opinion. Um, and uh, so that's something that I could do without. Uh, so there you go. Puff, puff, pass. I love that it. Was, that was great. Um, so and just kind of in closing here, we wanted to thank you for the work you're doing, Adam. Most of what we thank do you. for for our clients um, really is advocacy work, and that can't happen without you know this actionable, reliable data that um, that people use to build their businesses. So um, keep it up, and and thanks. Well, thanks, Anne, and thanks, Louis, Shay. Really enjoyed being here with you guys. Thanks so much. Great. Cool. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Adam Orens, the founding partner of the Marijuana Policy Group. Find out more about them by visiting their website at mjpolicygroup.com. If you want to chat with us, you can find us at Instagram and Twitter with the handles at KCSA underscore cannabis, as well as KCSA-cannabis.com. Or feel free to drop us an email if you have anything, any questions, if you want us to interview someone, we're more than happy to hear uh, from you at greenrush at KCSA.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take.